As you head over to Psalm 119, I want to help you kind of make sense out of it. Psalm 119, you can think of kind of like one of those giant Subway sandwiches. The really big ones that are like 12 feet long, if you've ever seen them. And they're mostly the same uh, across the entire thing, right? Like the club sandwich is going to have uh, turkey and roast beef and ham, and it's going to be tasty the whole way through. Uh, but then the sandwich is divided up. These are the things you take to some kind of big party or something like that in the four-inch sections. And each section gets its own unique ingredients on, on, on them. And so, you know, one might have lettuce and mustard. Another one has mayo and pepper, something of that nature. Well, think of Psalm 119 kind of like that big old sandwich. And in this case, it's a scripture sandwich. Uh, the main ingredient or the theme throughout all of 119 is, is this idea of, of God's word, to, to trust it, to love it, just this delight in it. But, but then, just like the sandwiches, as the psalm is, is cut into these smaller sections, you can see them if you've got a, a Bible before you, the way they're laid out. These are sections that are a little easier to eat, and each section has its unique aspects. Uh, the sections, uh, as I said, are real obvious. There's 22 of them, and that's because there's 22 letters in the Hebrew Bible, and, and every section begins with the next letter in the Hebrew Bible until it gets to the end. Uh, they're all exactly eight verses long and, and begin with that letter uh, of the alphabet. So today we're going to be pretty hungry. The little four-inch section's too small, so we're going to take two sections, make sure we get filled up. Two stanzas. Uh, the letters Tet and Yod is uh, the ones we'll be looking at today. Or if you uh, want to just take a moment and be thankful for the monks who many, many years ago decided to add chapters and verses to our Bibles and, uh, and do it that way instead, you can just look to verse 65, which is where we'll be starting. So uh, follow along as we read, uh, beginning in verse 65. You have dealt with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgments and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servants. Let your mercy come to me that I may live for your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame, because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes, that I may not be put to shame. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what we have just read is not merely an ancient writing, but is your holy word. It is a living word that is as much for us today as it was for the people of Israel at the time of its writing. By the work of the Holy Spirit, we ask you to enlighten our minds to understand and to soften our hearts to receive this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When 
studying nearly every culture, whether we're talking ancient cultures or modern cultures, we, we learn that gold has been a highly valued substance that is sought after by kings and chiefs and royalty of all sorts. Uh, El Dorado, long before it was actually a, a Kansas town, which has no gold in it, by the way, uh, but long before that, it was this mythical city that was said to be filled with gold. And, and the hope that it was this real place was at least in part part of what Spain was hoping to find as they sent explorers out to the new, the new world. Now, you, you might remember also that, that gold was one of the three gifts that were brought to Jesus at his birth. It was a gift given to a new king, again, royalty. Uh, and if you love chemistry, who doesn't love chemistry? Actually, do, does anyone here love chemistry? All right, there's the weirdos. Uh, <laughs> If you love chemistry, you actually owe some gratitude to gold as, as it formed out of this study of alchemy. Uh, as I understand it, y'all might be wanting to correct me right now. I don't know, but this is what I was learning. Out of alchemy, which was this, this work or this project that was attempting to take common metals, to take things like copper and tin, and then to turn them into gold. And, and the hope was that they'd create the, something called the Philosopher's Stone. Sound familiar to you, uh, Harry Potter fans? Uh, J.K. Rowling did not make that up. It actually comes out of the history books. The idea of this philosopher's stone was this weird powder that when you mixed it with copper was be the substance that actually turned it into gold. Um, there's this whole history of gold then. San Francisco exists today because of a mighty gold rush after John Sutter discovered a nugget of gold in 1948 and suddenly people from not only across the, the country but across the globe began to pour into the San Francisco area in search of more of it. See, this desire for gold has just been woven into human histories, into our human history. We, we, we see it often in, in, in children's fables even. Do, do you remember what the peasant's daughter was willing to trade her firstborn child for in Rumpelstiltskin? Gold. She wanted him to weave it into gold, or straw into gold. What, what, what about the, uh, the goose in Jack and the Beanstalk? What, what are those geese that he's after actually lay? Do you remember? What? Gold eggs. All right, well done. Remembering these old stories, right? You think about competitions of constantly, what's the highest honor? The Olympic first place medal is a gold medal. The Oscar and the Emmy Awards, they're all gold in awards. Today, in fact, gold is valued at $1,500 an ounce. And people will do crazy things to get gold. There's a desire for it. In fact, just a few days ago in Mexico, criminals managed to steal $2.5 million in gold coins from the National Mint of Mexico. And a few weeks before that, men in Brazil stole $30 million of gold at an airport. Just gold value. You see, people value, they desire, they covet gold highly. On the other hand, in a few weeks, the Gideons are going to be handing out Bibles, uh, handing out God's Word to K-State students as they enter onto the campus absolutely free. Free. So why then... Does the psalmist in verse 72 conclude this stanza by, by saying to God, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces? Why? When we've just learned that gold is worth over $1,000 per ounce, 
And in America, you can get God's law, Bibles, for free. Why? That's, that's what we're going to see in our passage today, okay? And that's what I hope we're going to more fully believe and more fully seek to live out according to by the time we leave today. That, that we would find God's Word, to find the Holy Scriptures valuable, more valuable, not than just gold, but more valuable than our favorite gadgets, more valuable than cars and entertainment and everything else that our hearts naturally desire. So then let's, let's look at this passage. And right off the bat, we're seeing here in verse 65, he says, uh, he talks about the value of God's Word. He, he says this, uh, that you've dealt with me according to your word. That, that's what the psalmist is saying here. That today, like, like every generation before us, people want to know, how is God going to deal with me? If you ever get someone in the right mood where they're willing to really have a conversation, there's this question of, how, when I die and I come face to face with my maker, how in the world is God actually going to deal with me? And now there are a lot of divine mysteries, a lot of things we just can't know about the world, about God, and, and things about nature. But, but how God's going to deal with us, that's not one of them. It's not. The, the psalmist is clear here that God's going to deal with us according to his word. We see it many other places as well. And, and the whole of the scriptures tell us that, indeed, we are all sinners, and we are born that way, and we've all violated the law of God, and thus we find ourselves guilty. Romans 3.23, in fact, sums it up. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In, in God's word, we also learn that because of that sin, the wrath of God should be upon us, poured out upon us. John 3.36 says uh, of him who does not believe in Christ that the wrath of God remains on him. However, God will deal with us differently if we repent of our sin, and we find that we trust in Jesus. When our faith is in Jesus, he takes the wrath for us, and we receive his righteousness. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.21 is getting at when it says this. It says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. He's talking about Jesus here, right? So that in him, Jesus again, we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ, we who are sinners by experience, by nature. We are in Christ. We are officially then in the eyes of God, no longer sinners. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for, for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, we are either children of God made so by faith in Christ, or we remain enemies of God. Those are the two places we can be. Now, we could go on and on here, but today I simply wish for us to see that God is faithful to deal with us according to his word. He has not left how he will deal with us a mystery. And the verses that follow then here in Psalm 119, the psalmist is professing this confident in God, confidence in God's word, but also a tendency towards disobedience in his life. He refers to these afflictions uh, often in these stanzas, right, particularly uh, 67, 71, 75, where we're seeing even the word affliction used there. And the psalmist, we're, we're learning, he's gone through something terrible in his life. 
Now, we don't know the details because he never lays down what these details are, but, but part of it, we know for sure that he's actually caused himself, that he's brought some of this upon himself. In fact, he, he says in verse 67, I went astray. He, he's confessing that, that he's disobeyed God. He's wandered away from God. And I, I think we can all relate to that at, at some point. You see, he, he went astray, but as we've learned in so many of the other psalms this summer, and instead of running from God, right, uh, constantly, he, he changes his actions, and now he seeks to run towards God. He's seeking to be united to God, to return to God, and, uh, and, and, and so we're seeing that change in his life. Now, the other affliction that he refers to in this passage is, is an ongoing one. You see in verse 69 there, he tells us that his name is being slandered. His name is being slandered. That's hard to handle. You ever had someone do that? Uh, you know they're talking about you. You can't stand that they are. And, and we're going to see how that works out here in a bit also. Now, verse 70. 70 is interesting. Look at verse 70. Um, th this is kind of an in Old Testament insult or a, a burn, as we might say today. He, he says that those who are attacking his character are unfeeling like fat. Unfeeling like fat. Uh, that's kind of like when, when someone today says, you know, you're, you're cold-hearted. Or, um, you know, in the slang sense, not the technical sense, but, you know, you, you're a sociopath, I think. You know, it's kind of that sort of insult. Um, you know, but here's a new way to say it. Try to work this phrase into your vocabulary, right? Next time someone's heartless, just, just tell them, you know, you just you broke his heart. You don't even care about it. You are... You are unfeeling like fat. I, I would really love someone to do this just because I want you to come back and tell me how someone reacted to that. Like, are they even insulted? Are they confused? What's, what's happening here when you say that to them? I just want to know what the reaction will be. Um, unfeeling like fat. So that's what he's saying is, these people are. And so then in the, in the midst of sharing these afflictions, he says to God, remember this is a prayer throughout, he says to God in verse 68, you are good and you do good. You are good and you do good. Do, do you believe that about God? That's a phrase that tends to come out of our mouth right after God does something amazing in our life. You are good and do good. We do well to pray that while we are and, and after we have been suffering. God, you are good and you do good. To, to remind ourselves like the psalmist of God's goodness even in the midst of great affliction. And, and so then th this stanza, the Tet stanza, comes to an amazing conclusion in verses 71 and 72. I, I love seeing this. I hope you do too. Because verse 71 helps us understand why verse 72 has him proclaiming that God's word is better than gold. So first look at 71. Uh, if you've got it open right in front of you. He says, it is good for me that I was afflicted. Who, who says that? It was good for me that I was afflicted. That, that's just not a normal response to affliction, to, to suffering in our life. I mean, to, to understand this, then, we, we need to understand that there, there are at least six reasons why we experience suffering or affliction in our life. And we'll go through these fairly quick. First, simply because we live in a sin-stained world. We suffer afflictions because the world is currently and thoroughly messed up because of sin. 
you don't have to walk very far out the doors to figure that out today. You don't even have to walk out the doors to figure that out today, actually. Um, second reason that we experience suffering is the, for constructive reasons, the way we might say uh, constructive criticism, right? Uh, the intention of God here is to further develop our character. Th- this is what we learn in Romans 5, 3 and 4, which says this, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, right? So it's the developing character. And then the third reason we experience suffering is for the result of something else. In other words, it's, it's part of God's good providence in our life, and the suffering is accomplishing something. There, there's this wonderful story that Corey ten Boom tells uh, regarding this. Uh, she and her sister and many others are in a, a Nazi concentration camp, um, and, and in their working and their lodging area is just infested by fleas. And, and, and as they're infested by fleas, they, they happen to have read that morning uh, in, in Scripture, you know, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, which says, Give thanks in all circumstances. And, and she defeatedly wondered out loud to the others, how, how, could they, how could we really give thanks to God for the infestation of fleas? How? Like, why, why would we possibly give thanks for this? And, and after a, a while, they, they figured out that they, they were in, in their section, the German soldiers never came into their room. And that allowed them to read scripture out loud to each other, allowed them to have these conversations with, with people in the room that they couldn't have had if the soldiers were in there. Um, and, and one day they finally realized something, that, that the guards were refusing to come into their room. And the reason the guards gave for why they wouldn't come in their room, you probably already figured out, is because it's infested by fleas. We don't want to go in there because we don't want fleas. And suddenly she saw it, that she could genuinely thank God for the fleas because of what it was accomplishing because that affliction gave this unexpected blessing so the fourth reason we suffer affliction is is merely to glorify God through it this one might confuse your mind but it's reality um, the, the blind man in John, not, John chapter 9 is an example of this. When Jesus is explaining to his disciples who have been asking, you know, why is this man blind? Is it because of his parents' sin or his sin? What's the reason for his blindness? And in John 9, 3, Jesus answers this. He says this, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so our suffering may be simply for the glory of God. Fifth reason... Uh, We suffer affliction is what is often called cosmic, meaning suffering that shows cosmic creatures like demons and angels that man or woman loves God for who God is, not the gifts of God. Can you think of a biblical example of this? You shout it out. What? Job. Job. Absolutely. Job. Job who suffers greatly uh, as a means to prove to the devil that he loves God and not just the gifts of God. The sixth reason is what the psalmist is talking about in our passage today. And I, I want you to understand there's different reasons. Every affliction is not going to be for the same reason. Okay? But here he's saying that uh, it's corrective is the way he's saying this. It, he's saying that the affliction in my life was caused by God, and, and the purpose of this affliction was to correct my going astray. Look, look to the scripture in front of you. Notice the order of events in verse 67. He went astray, then he was afflicted, and then he keeps God's word. This is the way he's showing it. That, that's why he can say then in verse 71, 
it's good for me that I was afflicted. That's why he points out God's faithfulness to afflict him in verse 75. He's able to see it in hindsight and be grateful for it because it brought him back to God. And God is always faithful to bring his people through or to himself. Uh, Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, Suffering is a school where students learn things about themselves, about God, and about life that they would never have learned without it. And Martin Luther, long before Keller, and with a great deal less Twitter followers, um, after Luther had been teaching people for many years, he said this. He writes, I never knew the meaning of God's word until I came into affliction. I, I have always found it one of my best teachers. See, that's how we get to the psalmist honestly professing that, that God's word is of greater value than oodles and oodles of gold. You see, with gold, we can buy some amazing stuff, but with the scriptures, we can come to know God. That's the glory of it. My, my prayer, and I know the, the prayer of our, our elders, is that we as a congregation would, would be a people that love the word of God. That, that value it more highly than anything else. In verse 73, we have this new section, right? It's our second bite of the sandwich. It's a little shorter than the first one. Don't, we're going to scarf it quicker. Um, right? So this section begins similar to the book of Genesis by connecting God as creator uh, to, to God as the lawgiver. And, and that connection is that because he's the creator, he has a right to give the law and his law is good. Because God is our creator, right, he, he knows the right way to live. And, and so it would do well for us to look to his word for, for knowing that, or for that instruction. For, for instance, God created us relationally. And he commands us to love others as we love ourselves. God created sex. He, he's told us it's proper and it's good role inside of marriage. God's created alcohol even. He instructs us how it can be used for good in Scripture, but he also warns about the, the, the abuse of it in ways that can be used harmfully. God created the church. Um, his word is the source of how his church should function. See, when we, when we face any issue in, in the life, what we need is wisdom on, and that we're looking to have wisdom on, we, we would do well to, to pray the prayer that we see there in verse 73 before you, Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. In verse 76, he says, uh, you see it there, he says, the steadfast love of God is a comfort to him or comforts him. Let, let me just say here, let the knowledge of God's faithful love for you as his child through faith in Christ, let, let that theological truth let that soak in and, and be a comfort to your heart. Romans 8, 38 and 39, right? You, you've probably heard this before. It emphatically states as it says, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ our Lord. You see, the love of God for you is steadfast, it's constant, it's ongoing, it's always. That the love for God might feel distant to you at times, but, but, but don't trust your feelings. 
Feelings aren't bad, but don't trust him for things like this. Trust God's word, which confirms that his love is always very near to you, even when you don't feel it. Right? Trust the word. Trust his steadfast love for you. Verse 78 then shows us a a great way to walk through day-to-day life. He says, "Let, let those who reject the Lord and his word be put to shame. He's saying, you know, let, let those people that are, you know, um, insulting his name, let them say what they will about me. Um, God will bring justice according to his own time. And in the meantime, he's saying this, here's what I can do when, when people are verbally trashing ta- or talking trash about me. And, and do you see what he says there in verse 78? Look at it if it's before you. He says, as for me, right, they're talking trash about him, but as for me, I will meditate on your precepts. That's God's word. They're talking trash, but he's just going to focus on God's word. That, that's where he's going to find this comfort. And, and, and that's where we need to go as well, not just for that particular affliction, but always to find our comfort in the word. You, and, and that means you don't just, you don't just gloss over Scripture. And, and this is important. I, I think sometimes we're, we, we get, you, you hear this like a, you need to love the Word of God, and you're so quick to think, yeah, I, I should, and so, you know, tomorrow morning you're going to get your Bible out, and you're going to get there, and some reason you're going to be in Ezekiel, and you're just going to be reading, and you, you just kind of go through it, and you're like, check that off, done. It didn't do much in my life. Sometimes we're so quick just to, to get it done. It, it'd be like if you brush your teeth for like four seconds, done. That's not, that's not what the dentist really means for your teeth to get clean. And, and when we talk about being in Scripture... We need to not just seek to check it off. Don't just gloss over it, but to meditate on it. And, and by meditate, as the scripture says here, it doesn't mean mindlessness like we see in some Eastern religions, but, but mindfulness, that we fill our minds with scripture and, and meditate on that, that we think deeply about that. Okay, so we're almost finished today, but let's come back to God's word being more valuable than gold. I was uh, recently reading a book that pointed out that we are constantly formed by something. That it's impossible to think you're not, right? There, there's, um, by, by something. If it's not scripture, then it's the books that we read, the shows that we watch, uh, the blogs that we follow, the music we sing along to. Everything is forming us. You, you can't just think like it's not, I, I reject this, but I'm taking part in it. It's it's picked up, you know, almost like, a, like an accent is picked up or like regional slang. I know growing up in, in, in Texas, we, we call, what do you call a carbonated drink? What would you call it? Pop. Pop. Okay, so in Texas, we would call it Coke. The guy comes to the table, would you like a Coke? Yes. And then the next question is, well, what kind? And well, Dr. Pepper, of course. <laughs> and it's, it's just the way it was. I thought everyone in the world did that. And then I moved here and I thought, I will never ever call it soda or pop. And, and yet I found myself in recent years, having been formed by Midwest mindsets, that I will say, yeah, you know, do you want a soda? And I, and I immediately am like, what is wrong with me? How did I become this person? <laughs> that, that's the way everything in your life is, is working. You are being formed by the things in your life. And, and with that in mind, let me, let me read you this quote by, by Jerry Bridges. He says, Only through God's word are our minds remolded and our values renewed. 
God's word must be so strongly fixed in our minds that it becomes the dominant influence in our thoughts, our attitudes, and our actions. That's, that's what we want to be formed by. It, it is. I, as Christians, I, I, don't, I don't think many of you would disagree with me, even if you did disagree with me. But uh, that's what we want to be formed by. Now, now listen, a hundred years ago, it was much easier to spend time in God's Word because there weren't TVs and there weren't smartphones or Instagram or televised sports or Spotify or online gaming or endless internet or all the other amazing forms of entertainment that we have available to us. See, 200 years ago, if, you, if you're sitting in your living room and you ask, well, what's on tonight? The answers were very slim. You, you could read the Bible that most houses had. Maybe a couple copies of Jane Austen or something like that. Or you could watch the fire burn down. That's what's on tonight. You know, you spent most of your day working hard. There weren't a lot of entertainment options. And so I, I say that because it truly is tougher in our area. So don't beat yourself up for having a desire for all these entertainments. Don't do that. One, they aren't necessarily evil in and of themselves. And two, they're actually engineered. They're actually designed to attract you. They're actually built. Everything they're doing is for you to love it to begin with, right? To appeal to us. And so don't let the shame of that desire crush you. But, but we must be diligent to make time, to set it apart, to find a way to spend time in God's word that is unrushed. And, and that can be hard to do. Now, it... it camp we were talking about this a little bit so some of you might have heard this already but um some of us act as if we're we're cats you know the difference between cat and dogs uh dogs you can actually train to do things you can call a dog and sit you can even put like a snack on its nose and that dog can most dogs if you train them can actually resist eating that snack until you let them that that's a dog cats completely different cats if they want to walk into the house they walk in the house they see a glass on the table. They don't care whose glass it is. They just knock it over. Cats just do whatever they want to do at any given moment. There's no training them. There's nothing you can do, really. They're just whatever they want. It's like they have no self-control. They have no will. And, and some of us act like, like we're cats. Like, you know, I can only read Scripture if I really, really want to read Scripture. And God, you didn't make me want to read Scripture, so I'm not reading Scripture. I guess we'll try again tomorrow. You know, or, or that prayer, just give me a desire to read Scripture. And, and that's it. And if I don't have the desire, I won't do it. And, and, and I say that because you've got to know that, that God has, has given you self-control, right? It's a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. Uh, it, it's an ability to say, you know what? I would much rather watch this, do this, something else. I would much rather sleep in 30 more minutes. I'd much rather do something else. But, but, but I'm going to do something I don't want to do. I'm not a cat. I can actually make a decision to do something I don't want to do. And, and, and I encourage you, if that's where you find yourself, yes, we want to love the Word of God. We want it to just be our passion. But, but that might mean beginning to dig into God's Word at a point where you're like, I'm just doing this because I should. Because I know it's good for me because God calls me and I want to be obedient to His Word. And, and so we seek it that way. And so at, at times reading Solid exposition of God's Word by, by trusted authors, books that are explaining things is a great thing, yes. But, but you also need to spend time in just raw Scripture. We, we, we need that if we're to learn to delight in it, as verse 70 here says here, you know, says here. 
Or, or if we're to learn good judgment and knowledge, as verse 66 tells us, it teaches us here. Or if we're to be comforted, as verse 76 says here. And, and, and so, church, listen here. My Bible's weird. I know it's got bright colors on it. Um, but, but here in, in Scripture, you, you know, the one you, you have uh, as well, we, we have something that is eternally more valuable than gold. Truly, that is true. Um, let's, let's live that way. Let's live according to that reality. Let's, let's pray now. Father, most of us in this room today uh, would profess that your word is greater than gold, that it has incomparable value for our lives, and still most of us in this room today who profess that would also confess our prioritizing of, of time in the scripture does not match that profession. And so, Lord, I, I pray two things for your covenant people today. First, I ask that you would give us a great love for your word, that you would fill us with the desire to truly read and understand and apply it to our lives. But second, Lord, I ask that you would give us a commitment to seek your word, even if we don't have a strong desire to read our Bibles currently. Give us resolve to, to meditate on your word because, because we need it, because we trust you when you say it's for our good. We pray this in the glorious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.